Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Well, welcome to Vintage Church. How are you all? Come on now. If you're watching online, welcome to Vintage Church. I'm actually going to ask you to stand again, even though you just sat. We're going to do something a little bit different as we jump into this series called Becoming. Today, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter verses, uh, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And every week that we are in this series, for the next nine weeks, we are going to read out loud this passage together. So the words of first of 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 11 are going to be on the screen and I would ask for you to read it with me. Here we go. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind." having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Here's the really cool thing about 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. It's nine verses. So here's what I want to challenge you to do over the next nine weeks. Every week that you come, or every week that you're watching, try and memorize one verse a week. And by the end of this series, you will have memorized 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 11. We're going to do something today. This whole entire series is a little different. And so what we're going to do today is I'm going to preach this entire passage. And then over the next eight weeks, we are going to take a deep dive into the virtues that are in the middle of this passage that Peter, the apostle of Jesus, talks about. So every week, starting next week, we're going to look at the virtue of faith. What does Peter mean when he says, supplement your faith with virtue. And so that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. But as we think about the idea of becoming, many of us 
Most of us in our culture are far less concerned with who we are becoming and far more concerned with what we are doing or what we have done. I mean, think about the times that you've introduced yourself. Nine times out of ten, how do you introduce yourself after you say your name? You share what you do, right? And even if you don't share that, that's the next thing that someone's going to ask you. But what I want us to think about over the next nine weeks is getting at the question, who are you becoming? And the reason I want to address that question is because I think God is far more concerned about who we are becoming than anything else. And one of the reasons, I don't know if you've noticed some of the graphics and the artwork with this series, as I thought about the idea of becoming, I immediately think about a butterfly. My son Gabe loves butterflies. I mean, he could probably tell you in far more detail what happens to a butterfly in its metamorphosis, in its transformation than I could, right? But a butterfly begins as an egg, and it turns into a caterpillar, and then it grows into a chrysalis, and then a few days later, it breaks out of its chrysalis, and it's a full-fledged butterfly. I mean, there is a significant metamorphosis. That word literally means transformation from egg to butterfly. And I think what God wants us to see as we think about that question, who are we becoming, he wants us to think about what our metamorphosis, what our transformation could look like. That we wouldn't just be static people. That it wouldn't be who you see right now, I'm the exact same person in the next 20 years. And I'm not talking about just personality change, I'm talking about our growth in godliness. Everybody wants to become something. And what we're going to be looking at is who does God want us to become? So let's look at this passage together. In verses 3 through 4, here's what I want you to see first. Who we are becoming is first received from God. It's first received from God. Look at who's responsible for our becoming. In verses 3 through 4, the Apostle Peter says things like this. He says, it's by His divine power. He goes on and he says, it's through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. He goes on to say, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Now, the question is, who does these pronouns belong to? And if you go back up and you look at verses 1 and 2 of 2 Peter, Peter addresses those things. Look at the middle of verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, what, what Peter is getting at He's getting ready to tell us who God wants us to become, but what he wants to remind us of is the reality that part of who we are becoming is not in and of our own power. 
It is by Christ's divine power. It's through the knowledge of Him. It's because He has granted to us these precious and very great promises. One commentator said this, Only God can make people godly. Why? Uh, Because there's only one person who's really godly, right? It's God. Who we're becoming is received from God. So what do we receive from God? Peter goes on and he says that we have received from God all things that pertain to life and godliness. Then he says that we have become partakers of the divine nature. That word partakers, we often throw around the word, the Greek word koinonia, You might have heard that word before. Whenever we talk about the word koinonia in the Greek language, it most often refers to fellowship. The kind of fellowship that we have between one another as believers in Jesus. But the word that Peter uses here is the word partakers comes from the word koinonia. That there is a fellowship between God and between us. It's not to say, the point of that passage is not to say that we are going to become gods. But what Peter is saying is that we receive from God the ability to become like God. That because we're in fellowship with God, God wants us to be like Him. He wants us to think like Him. He wants us to feel like Him. He wants us to act like Him. Why? These last few weeks as we went through our series on racism, one of the things that we kept talking about was the importance of understanding that we've all been created in the image of God. So we've been created in the image of God to mirror God. So, of course, God wants us to be like Him. We've received all of these things. And and catch what Peter says. We've, We've received from God all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not a handful. Not the bare minimum. Every single thing. So everything that we need in this life... To become like God, Peter reminds us that because of Christ, in Christ, in God's divine power, we have those things. We have, not within ourselves, but within God's power, everything we need to become like God. So how do we become like God? Undergirding everything that Peter says in this passage are really two theological ideas. Number one, it's about our union with Christ. Now, what do I mean by union with Christ? One theologian defines it like this. He says, through union, believers are identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, and communicates all his blessings of salvation, grace, regeneration, redemption, eternal life, justification, sanctification, and glorification. And so what the author is getting at in this idea, Paul talks about this a lot in his letters, particularly his letter to the Romans. The the point is that when we trust in Jesus, 
there's this kind of divine swap that happens where God takes Christ's righteousness and gives it to us and he takes our sin and puts it on Jesus. And the reason that happens is because we are now identified with Christ. Christ looks at us and he says, they're with me. We belong to Christ. That's, listen, that's the story of the gospel, that Christ came to earth as God, put on flesh, became not only fully God, he was fully God, but became fully man, went to the cross, died for our sins, resurrected from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell, that we might have life with God. And it's only when we're united with Christ, when God recognizes that we are in Christ. Every time in the New Testament when you see Paul or any of the other writers say, in Christ, in Jesus, into Christ, into Jesus, under all of that is the idea of union with Christ. And at the heart of that is the gospel. Because we're united with Christ when we recognize our sinfulness, right? We can't become who God wants us to become when we're stuck in our sin. In sin, we're separated from God. Why? Because God is perfect and holy and just and righteous. And we, while we're to be like God, are broken and sinful and ultimately then separated from God. And so the Bible talks about repenting, that we've been going one way and we are to repent, turn away from our sins, and in faith, trust Jesus that His death and His resurrection can save us. And the Bible says if you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus and His work on the cross, you will be saved. And one of the things that, one of the other items about how we become like God is because when we are united with Christ, we are then indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Some of us, I think, are a little scared to talk about the Holy Spirit because of what we see around other denominations and other Christians. But the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit all the time. I mean, some people, if you go read the book of Acts, yes, it's the Acts of the Apostles, but it's the Acts of the Apostles who are filled by the Holy Spirit. And so we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, meaning we are to be controlled, we're to be permeated, we are to be pervaded by the Holy Spirit. Why is being indwelt by the Holy Spirit so important in becoming like God? Because what? We can't make ourselves God. So the divine power, the everything that we've been given in God to become godly, is given to us because we are united with Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in us and actually begins to make us godly. Without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have the power to become who God wants us to be. And all of that, Peter doesn't even have to say that stuff because who he's writing to knows the truth of those things. That they've been united with Christ and that they've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So who we are becoming is received from God. Do not forget that. 
Because the last thing I want us to do is walk out of here and think, if I just try a little bit harder, if I do everything within my own power, I can become who God wants me to be. Becoming like God, becoming who God wants us to become is not the same thing as self-actualization. It's not, I'm going to better myself. This is something that only God can do in His divine power. So, who are we becoming is not only received from God. Look at verses 5-7. through Who we're becoming is also built with the Holy Spirit. Now, I just said, who we're becoming happens because God does it. But I want you to look in verses 5 through 7. Look at what Peter says at the very beginning of verse 5. It's almost, if you read it on the surface, you would almost think it's contradictory to everything that he said in verses 3 through 4. He says this, For this reason, make every effort. Do you know what that means? I mean, there's no like getting around this. It means work really hard. Try really hard. Now, here's the question, right? Because what did we say in verses 3 through 4? Who we're becoming is received from God. It's not of us. And so how do we reconcile our effort with God's work? There's two places in Paul's letters that I think explain this so well. Galatians 5.22 Another place that I would encourage you as we're studying 2 Peter and these virtues, Galatians 5.22, is about the fruit of the what? The Spirit. Another place where you can go and think about and reflect and meditate on who God wants us to become. But it's a reminder, Galatians 5.22 is a reminder for us, but the fruit of the Spirit, we are the ones, the fruit is what we're living out, but the fruit comes from whom? The Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. Look at what Paul says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And in the very next verse, verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, in the New Testament, there is this tension that we're to balance. That in one sense, God is working in us, but in the other sense, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are to make every effort in becoming who God wants us to become. The other theological word to describe this is sanctification. The word sanctification literally means to become holy. And one, one theologian describes it like this, and there's some key phrases that I want to remind you of. Number one, he says, it's the cooperative work of God and Christians. The cooperative work. The other, the other theological word is justification, being declared righteous. That is not cooperative. Only God can save. 
But part of sanctification is not just being declared righteous, it's actually being made righteous. So yes, when you come to know Jesus, God looks upon you and despite your sin, He no longer sees your sin, He sees the righteousness of Christ. But in this process of becoming, in this process of sanctification, you're not being declared righteous, you are literally being transformed. Where God is beginning to chisel away at the sin in your life that would produce holiness. So it's a cooperative work of God by which ongoing transformation, ongoing transformation into greater Christ-likeness occurs. The point is, sanctification is not ha- does not happen in a moment. It takes a lifetime. It's a lot of work. We're to make every effort. One commentator says this, and I love the way that he describes this. He says, we do not automatically become more virtuous as if God infused virtue into us intravenously. We need to make plans and expend effort. I don't know if you remember being in school and uh, you were studying for that test and you thought to yourself, man, if I could just lay down on my book and all of this information would come into me by osmosis, life would be so much better. (laughs) I used to, when I was in the middle of writing my dissertation, I was like, if I could just put my hands on this keyboard and think what I want to write, and it would just happen, right? It doesn't happen like that. We were joking as we were talking about this sermon. I've used the Matrix before in other, in other sermons, but in the Matrix, one of the things, it's a computer program. So they're like, oh, you don't know Kung Fu? Let me download Kung Fu. And it's like, quick download, okay, now I can fight Kung Fu. I mean, life would be so incredible, right? You wouldn't spend years of your life in the education system. It's like, just, we don't know that? Okay. You want to know the Bible? Oh, I got it all now. <laughs> Doesn't work like that, right? It's hard work. So being built with the Holy Spirit, what are we being built into? And that's what Peter goes into in verses 5 through seven. Now here's what I want you to think about as we look at these virtues. Throughout the Greco-Roman world, authors, philosophers, teachers, scholars talked about virtues. If you go look at Aristotle, he wrote a book called The Nicomachean Ethics. He talked about virtues. Plato, Plato talked about virtue. And what we're going to see, and this was common in the ancient world, this step-by-step chain where Peter says, Add to your faith, supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control. That was very common. And and one of the big things in this passage, while the the order of the virtues is is not necessarily important, there are two virtues that begin and end this list that are really important. There's a reason Peter begins with faith. Because really the Christian life begins with faith. And there's a reason that he ends with love. We've talked about this in the last few weeks. The love that he's referring to here is agape love. And that agape love became known as Christian love. And so there's a reason he begins with faith and he ends with 
love, but like a lot of things in the New Testament, I don't want you to see this list as exhaustive. There are other, there are other lists of virtues. Again, Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's a virtue list. And while there are similarities in Galatians 5 to 2 Peter 1, there are also differences. Places like Romans 5, James 1, Galatians 5, all of those give lists of virtues. And so who are we being built into? I want to do a flyby, a very quick, here are these virtues. And the reason is because what I said at the very beginning, over the next eight weeks, we are going to unpack every single one of these virtues. And we're going to look at Old Testament characters as well as Jesus to learn about them. So who are we being built into? Number one, someone who has faith. That we would trust in God and have faithfulness to God. That we would be someone who has virtue. I know that's confusing, right? This is a list of virtues, but we're also to have virtue. The idea of virtue is that we would have goodness or moral excellence. That we would add to virtue knowledge. That we would be somebody filled with practical wisdom and discernment. That we would have self-control. There would be an opportunity to practice self-restraint. That there would be steadfastness. That there would be endurance and perseverance in Jesus. That there would be godliness that would lead to piety and godly action. When Peter uses the word brotherly affection, he uses the Greek word Philadelphia. Which is the city of what? Brotherly love. So the idea behind brotherly affection is this familial affection. Love between Christian brothers and Christian sisters. And then lastly, Peter ends this list with love. Agape love. Christian love. That we would act lovingly toward one another. That we would be self-sacrificial. And so again, we're going to walk through this entire list over the next eight weeks. So who, we're, who we are becoming is received from God. It's built with the Holy Spirit. But the point, here's what I want you to get. The point is not just to have, not just to obtain these virtues. Who we're becoming is lastly to be lived out by us. It's action-oriented. The point is not to be able to stand up in, in front of a bunch of people and say, look how virtuous I am. I'm so loving. I have so much knowledge. Because the virtues are to be what? They're to be lived out. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, for if these qualities or these virtues are yours, meaning if you possess them, if you have them, and... What else does he say? Not that you just have them, but you are increasing in them. That you are growing in them. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's getting at is to be ineffective or unfruitful. That's results. That's you're going to look different. You're going to be different. You're going to live differently if you not only have these virtues, but you're increasing in them. It's going to affect not only who you are, but what you do. What we do flows from who we are becoming. Now, that's important because what did we just say at the very beginning of this? 
More, most people are consumed with what? Not who they're becoming, but what they do. But I, what, here's what I want you to see. You can't get that backwards. If you're consumed with what you do, it's not going to lead to who you're becoming. But if you're focused on who you're becoming, it leads to what you do. It's an overflow. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you'll never fail. Be all the more diligent. Literally, it's the same word from verse 5, where he says effort. Again, the idea is that there would be zeal, that there would be effort, that you would be expending energy. And part of what he's getting at is that we have to practice these virtues. These things don't just come naturally to us. I was listening to NPR recently, and uh, there was a guy on there. I didn't catch all of it, but there was a guy on there that had a head injury. And something happened in this head injury where it triggered a part of his brain where all of a sudden he could like play the piano perfectly. He had never played piano in his life until he had this brain injury. And now he was like an expert in the piano. That's not typically how life happens. We have to practice these things. We have to live out these things. There's fruit from a particular action. Right? I mean, you don't get an orange from a lemon tree and vice versa. Because a tree produces a certain kind of fruit. And what Peter is getting at is if you are growing in these virtues, if you're becoming who God wants you to become, then you are going to produce fruit that comes from living out these virtues, becoming more like God. So how do we live out who we're becoming? And I really, I want to encourage you. I just want to touch on this just briefly because here's what we're going to be doing in our V groups over the next nine weeks. In the gatherings, we're focused on who we are becoming. But in our V groups, our small groups that meet throughout the city, we're going to be looking at not who we're becoming, but how we're becoming who God wants us to be. And so we're going to be looking at some of these spiritual habits, these spiritual habits, or you might have heard them called spiritual disciplines. They're means of grace. They're not grace, but they're means of grace. They're the ways in which God works in and through us to transform us. Listen to what Richard Foster says in his article, Becoming Like Christ. He says, we need to learn how we cooperate. We've talked about that already, right? How we cooperate, our sanctification. We need to learn how we cooperate with the means of grace that God has ordained for the transformation of the human personality. Our participation in these God-ordained means will enable us increasingly to take into ourselves Christ's character and manner of life. So things like Bible reading, prayer, fasting, silence and solitude, these sorts of things, the point, they're, they're means to an end. They're means of grace. It's, it's like this. If you plant a tree or you plant uh, some sort of plant, 
Uh, typically, it needs three things, right? Good soil, water, and sunlight. And the spiritual disciplines are like taking us as the plant and putting us in front of the sunlight, or putting us in front of the place where we can get good water, or finding the good soil and putting us in the good soil so that we can get the nutrients we need. And so when we practice the spiritual disciplines, when we are reading the Word, when we're praying, when we're in community, when we're worshiping, when we're in silence and solitude, what we're doing is we're simply placing ourselves where we can experience God's grace. It's an intentionality. So who we're becoming, if we're going to become who God wants us to become, we've got to place ourselves where God is to experience His grace. And the challenge with all of this, and we've already talked about this, none of this comes naturally. None of this comes by osmosis. None of it comes just like, if I could just think about it, it would happen. It's hard work. One of the resources that I would really recommend to you, it's a book called After you believe why Christian character matters by N.T. Wright. And this is what he says about the virtues. He says, virtue is what happens when someone has made a thousand small choices requiring effort and concentration. Does that sound like fun? A thousand small choices. To do something which is good and right, but which doesn't come naturally. And then... On the thousand and first time, when it really matters, they find that they do what's required. Almost automatically. Almost everything we do in life. When you start a new job, you go into training. If you're playing a sport, you're learning how to play that sport. If you're in school, if you're getting an education for an occupation... And they don't just throw you in. You practice so when you're ready, you know the real thing. When we were in school, fire drills, tornado drills, right? So if it ever happens, you're ready. And what all of this is to produce is, is something like muscle memory, right? When you do something enough times, you don't have to train your body to do it. I was just at the gym before this, and we were doing... I was doing power cleans, and I don't know if you've ever done a power clean before. It's kind of a complex movement, and every time I do a power clean, there's like multiple movements to it. Every time I do a power clean, I get one thing new right, and there's something else I haven't done right. <laughs> so today, I, did, I got under the bar better, but I used my back, which in turn, my back is a little, a little sore tonight. The point is the more times I do those same movements, the more times my body gets used to those movements and it almost becomes second nature for me to do that power clean. And what N.T. Wright is saying and what I think the, the entire New Testament is saying is that the more that we practice, the more we make every effort 
to become who God wants us to become. Over time, God uses our practice and transforms us into the person He wants us to become. Who are you becoming? Who we're becoming is received from God, built with the Holy Spirit, and lived out by us. This week, as I thought about who we're becoming and this idea of transformation, I thought about the butterfly. And it's the simplest way to think about metamorphosis and transformation and becoming. And, and I was curious, again, we've watched, I can't tell you how many shows I've watched on, uh, my son Gabe loves animals. He knows more about orangutans and sharks than I'll ever know in my lifetime. It's crazy to me. And so I've been learning about butterflies. And we watched this show uh, called The Wild Kratts. I don't know if, even it's very educational and yet fun for adults as well. I find myself being often entertained by this kid's show. So we're watching the show, and it talks about butterflies. And did you know monarch butterflies migrate to Mexico every year? That's where they lay eggs, and then they come back. And see, if you didn't know that, you know that now. And, and here's the thing that's crazy to me. The lifespan of a butterfly, I don't know if you know this, it is so short. So the amount of time that it takes for a butterfly egg to transform into a full adult butterfly takes three to five weeks. Okay, that's not too long. But did you know that once a butterfly becomes a butterfly, they only live for two to six weeks? Now, I thought about that, and I was like, man, that's an awful lot of work to to only live two to six weeks like you're telling me it's going to take me three to five weeks to become who I'm supposed to become and then I only get to live and be who I'm supposed to be for two to six weeks and as I thought about that transformation I thought about that's the reality of becoming who God wants us to become because it's going to take our entire lives to become who God wants us to become. That's a lot of work to know that you really kind of never arrive until the moment you're with Jesus. But what I want you to see and what I want you to understand is the work is worth it. worth it who you're becoming matters and it's not going to be accidental you're not going to just kind of fall into it like oh wow look who I became who God wanted me to become it doesn't work nothing in life works like that even the lottery no how many people actually buy one lottery ticket and they win the big jackpot I mean, most of them have spent the entirety of money that they've won, right, in a lifetime buying lottery tickets to win the lottery. Nothing happens like that. 
who we're becoming takes time. In his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson says something very similar. He says, there's a great market for religious experience in our world. But there's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Becoming who God wants us to become is a long obedience in the same direction. It's long, it's hard, but it's worth it. Who are you becoming? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Father, that you didn't just leave us in our sin. but that you loved us enough to send your son Jesus to get us out of our sin, to reconcile us back to you. But then not even just enough, not being happy enough to just say, you know what, they're fine now. But you wanted us to become who you want us to be. You want us to become like you. And so, Father, I simply pray, God, in this moment as we respond to you, that you would help us begin to take whatever next step it is, that we would become like you. Help us to become who you want us to become. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.